Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, Molly. It's Natalie. I'm one of your premium submarines. Hey, I had sent a voicemail a few weeks ago that you actually played during the splitting episode and you had asked for an update. I was kind of talking about how I really struggle with splitting and conflict in my relationship and uh, just wrestling with like the repercussions of my extreme reactions. And I was really struggling and you gave me some really good advice and I wanted to thank you for that. And I wanted to thank you for the splitting episode that it was so helpful in ways that I cannot even begin to put into words. So I just want to give you an update. I feel like I have been really trying to focus more on the gray areas. And even when I'm at like that, like an emotional seven, eight, nine, um, getting up to a 10, like I, I find myself really trying to tell myself that there can be multiple truths that just because something feels one way, doesn't mean that that's how it is. And in 15 seconds, 20 seconds, two minutes, three minutes, I'm going to feel better. I just need to pull myself back and try to focus on the gray areas. And I know that I'm making this sound like, oh, I've got us together now. No, like I'm still a fucking mess. I'm a wreck. I'm a little crazy, but I have at least been trying and I feel like it's really helped. And so I just wanted to give that update and let you know, and just say thank you again for this podcast and for this community and for being the light that you are. So, okay. Love you. (laughs) Hey, Molly. This is Jenna. I am 21. I'm calling from Los Angeles and I'm one of your premium subscribers. Um, This voicemail is for Natalie who left a voicemail on the episode. um, I believe it's called when your diagnosis becomes a weapon in the hands of those who claim to love you most. She talked about how 
with her relationship, she's gotten to a place where she's like so self-aware that like it's hard for her to realize like that not everything is her fault. When I heard that, I, oh my God, I related so hard. And I've been in my relationship for like, we've just hit four years and I still feel this way. And so I wanted to send a message of love and support to Natalie and like let you know that I'm really proud of you for coming to a place in your journey where you're so self-aware and where you're having like a positive relationship and I also just want you to know that like you're deserving of love and happiness and a positive relationship like no matter what no of course like not everything is your fault and I think for me what helped a lot with this was just like remembering that my partner is a fallible human being I think it's really easy even after four years to like put him on a pedestal because of how you know patient he is but remembering that he's a fallible human being too and that he can he can goof a little bit sometimes as well um but yeah i i just want you to know that that is such a like common feeling it's definitely something that i relate to and you're not alone in that and thank you for your voicemail and thank you molly for playing it because it was really helpful for me to hear all right thank you love you all bye welcome to back from the borderline i'm your host molly and i don't want to talk to your personality i want to talk to your soul The idea of alchemy is to reduce something with fire, burning it down so that something new can rise from the ashes. You can do this with your personality too. You can perform emotional alchemy. You've always had the power, you just didn't know that. And now you do. On this podcast, I'd like to provide my listeners with a place to unhook from their overextended lives to explore, understand, and integrate the darkest parts of their soul. And on this podcast, there's no finish line, no quick fix or cure. There's no outcome, only eternal unfolding. And anyone, even you, can come back from the borderline. I just want to give a huge shout out to both Jenna and Natalie. And the reason why I decided to open up with these voicemails today is because This was such a beautiful moment for me. I love the fact that Jenna reached out and provided support to Natalie. And at the same time, Natalie had sent me a voicemail with a follow-up. Natalie initially sent me a question on one of my previous episodes. And you can check that one out if you scroll back and listen to when your diagnosis is a weapon in the hands of those who love you most. And I provided her with some advice regarding tendencies towards black and white thinking and how we can put some space between our big feelings and our reactions and they're both premium submarines and premium submarines are listeners who pay me monthly for full episodes of the podcast they get access to over 110 plus hours of bonus content and we're also developing a beautiful community here and These voicemails from Natalie and Jenna are a perfect example of the incredible and supportive quality of the community that we're building here on this podcast, and I couldn't do it without my listeners, so I want to give you both huge virtual hug. You know, I love that Natalie's reflecting and shared how some of the advice I gave her in that episode is allowing her to ride the wave of her emotions. She's learning to focus on the gray areas and learning to stop seeing things in this 
childish mindset that so many of us have where it's all good or all bad. There's so much gray and developing our critical thinking skills is incredibly important. And she says, I'm still a mess and I'm a little crazy. I think we all are. We're all crazy, messy human beings. And I love that Jenna pointed out that she's beginning to really just embrace the fact that her partner, even if she puts them on a pedestal, they're a fallible human being, just like the rest of us. And through this process of recovery that we're all on together, we can learn to give ourselves and others a lot more grace. So thank you again so much to Natalie and Jenna for reflecting all of this back to me and to the rest of the BFTB community here. As returning listeners know, I offer my community the ability to send me voicemails. My premium submarines have their voicemails and emails prioritized, and I tend to answer those questions on full-length episodes of the podcast, which you can unlock by becoming a premium submarine. But woo, I got a lot of voicemails built up. And so I thought that today we would do just a listener Q&A episode. And so I'm going to take the time, big sister mode, to sit down and take some questions that you all have sent through to me and do my best to give advice. And as you know, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a doctor, and I always give advice just from my own lived experience. And I always also say to take what resonates and leave the rest. I'm not an expert. I'm just someone that is a fellow seeker on this journey. I'm also in the middle of my own recovery path. And it's my hope that my words of advice can be helpful for those who call in and for those of you who are listening, because I think you'll likely hear yourself reflected in the voices of those who have called in and left these voicemails. So without further ado, let's dive in to our first listener question. Hi, Molly. My name is Sophie. Um, I've been enjoying your podcast for about a month now. Uh, It's been very comforting for me to listen to, so thank you for that. Um, My question today is about new relationships. So whenever I get into a new relationship, I feel like I get really obsessed with it. And despite working on myself and working on my relationship towards relationships, working on feeling like a whole person, working on my abandonment issues. Um, I feel like I, I still find myself in the same pattern, um, feeling anxious about when am I going to see them next? And what if, what if, what if, what if, and thinking about all these scenarios. Um, and I feel like ultimately I, I'm sabotaging um, the relationships, and I think that's why I have never had a long-term relationship, and I'm 30 years old, and I've never had a relationship last more than eight months. And anyway, I feel like, um, yeah, I thought maybe you would have some insight on that. So thank you. Thanks for calling in with this question, Sophie. I relate to this a lot. And 
I think a lot of people struggle with this same thing. Rumination and overthinking when it comes to relationships can really, really make it difficult to develop lasting intimacy with someone. And I think it can also contribute to building up our expectations of how something should go, how someone should treat us. And then that can lead us into this really sabotaging cycle of when we're constantly thinking about how something should be or how someone should love us, it's almost inevitable that they're not going to live up to that projection. And there's a reason why mindfulness is such a helpful spiritual recovery tool. And the concept behind mindfulness is being in the present moment. And I think this is what really made it difficult for me to find a relationship too. If we're constantly stuck in the past or the future, we aren't allowing people that we're trying to nurture new relationships with, we're not allowing them to just be. We're not allowing ourselves to just be. And I can relate as a woman to feeling that societal pressure of TikTok, TikTok, I'm 30 years old and I haven't had a relationship yet. And what if, and if I'm not married by X year, or if I don't have kids by X time, then what's going to happen, right? But nothing good in my life ever came from this rumination. And it only served to just further activate my already activated nervous system. And then it put this unconscious pressure on this new fledgling relationship and on this new person that I was seeing. And they were like the object of all of my hopes and dreams. And also, Sophie, something that helped me too is realizing that when I was stuck in this, like all I wanted was a relationship, I neglected a lot of other things in my life. And sometimes what happens when we focus on ourselves, the other week I did an episode on the Japanese concept of ikigai, which is finding our life's purpose. When we slip into making our life's purpose, finding a partner, that's not as attractive to other people who are secure people that would be good partners for us. When people can sniff out the fact that you are just kind of obsessed with latching onto them and finding a partner, that can feel very claustrophobic for securely attached psychologically integrated people, which is ideally who we want to attract in our lives, right? We don't ideally want to find ourselves with another person who's stuck in their trauma that maybe has, you know, other kind of tendencies that would stress us out. So for example, if you're someone who is struggling with abandonment issues, like you mentioned that you are, you're a highly emotional person. Maybe you struggle with emotion dysregulation like me and rumination. Sometimes we can attract people that have 
opposite issues, like people who are commitment phobic and are very withdrawn and we feel like we're begging for crumbs of affection. And so then we're engaging in this toxic dance with someone who we know can't give us what we need, but we think we can fix them. And then we're ruminating and trying to make something work that could never work. And typically too, when we're in this phase, we may not even find people who are secure individuals, even attractive. We think they're too nice or, you know, it's just crazy how that works, isn't it? At least that was for me. I almost broke off my relationship with Zaz because I thought he was too nice. And now I look back on that version of myself and I just want to be like, just like slap her in the face and shake her shoulders a little bit. Like, girl, what are you doing? Right? Do you want a toxic relationship? I thought that secure love felt boring and there was no passion to it. And we have to really snap ourselves out of that and grow up emotionally, spiritually, and psychologically and realize that real love, real lasting intimacy is actually something that we have to work at. And sometimes the boredom that we feel is actually just peace. And real life is sometimes just silence and stillness and showing up, not just constantly fighting and having passionate makeup sex and hating each other and screaming at each other and making up. That's childish, right? So I hope this helps, Sophie, and my advice to you here is just to be in the present moment. Focus on developing yourself, focusing on throwing yourself into your passions, and maybe start joining certain online or in-person clubs or groups where you are engaging with people that share similar interests with you and If you have a new relationship or something, don't put too much pressure on this precious new flame of a relationship. Let it just be. Don't project past and future issues onto this new person. Try to let them just be, let yourself just be, and see what grows. And don't think about the past or the future. Just let it evolve into what it should evolve And if you're finding that your entire purpose of life is finding a partner, that's a good indicator that you need to turn your focus inward and realize what is it that you want a partner to give to you and how can you give some of those things back to yourself so that you can show up in a new relationship with an already full cup that is prepared to offer something to someone and then make sure that new relationships that you are finding yourself in, they are wanting to offer something to you. Relationships should be reciprocal and they should be allowed to just be in the present moment. So I hope this advice was helpful to you, Sophie. All right. Our next voicemail is from Anna. Hey Molly, it's Anna. I'm one of your premium subscribers and I'm calling from Iowa. It's actually about two in the morning here right now, and I just got finished making some pretty big life decisions. Uh, I've been in a relationship for about the past six months, and I grew up in a really abusive home, and so it's hard for me to tell when relationships have some red flags. Um, and we went home last weekend, and he was very physically aggressive towards himself and was punching things around me as well um and I just feel like I've been emotionally and verbally berated since then and 
today I was with some friends and this has been an ongoing conversation of how this isn't a new thing. I'm just starting to realize it. And so today, while he was gone at work, I decided to write a letter saying that these are not okay behaviors. And I left everything outside his door and I broke up with him. And so, yeah, I just am having a hard time knowing if it was really abuse or if it's just my big feelings getting in the way and causing problems again. Oh, Anna, I'm so sorry to hear what you went through. And I'm sorry to your partner too, because it sounds like he was really struggling inside. And big sister time, right? I just, I always like to reiterate, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a therapist. I'm just literally responding to you as if you were my little sister. And it sounds like you did the right thing. It doesn't really matter about getting into what's abuse, what's not abuse, digging into things. You didn't feel safe. You didn't feel happy. This doesn't sound like healthy, secure love to me based upon what you described. And so I think you did the right thing to protect yourself. And hearing you say, you know, I'm not sure if it's actually abuse or if this is just my big feelings getting in the way really breaks my heart. And I also think it's a really good example of how we can just head fuck ourselves into the ground and just saying like, is this normal? Is it not? Should I stay? I love this person. They're in pain. And now me leaving them, it's going to make it worse. And so, so often we can just sacrifice our own well-being because we care about someone. But I like to say that sometimes the highest form of love that we can offer someone is to take care of ourselves and if that means stepping away when we feel unsafe and we feel like the environment is not conducive to a lasting love and intimacy you can interpret that as an act of love life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if ai could fold your laundry and some well less awesome like what if you have unexpected medical costs United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. The person on the other end may not see it that way right off the bat, and that's okay. But in time they may see, and in time they may not. But all you can do is protect yourself. I've talked about this on the podcast before, so longtime listeners may be familiar with this. And even Anna, you might be because you're a premium submarine. But when I was in a really abusive relationship shortly after my first marriage ended, I it started off with verbal abuse. And then he became aggressive. And it's, you know, then the things started getting thrown and it escalated and escalated. And I stuck around and stuck around and I ended up, you know, getting my head smashed against a wall in one particularly 
really scary altercation. These types of things tend to escalate. And people who have experienced abuse in their childhood sometimes grow up to abuse other people. The saying, hurt people, hurt people, exists for a reason. And it sounds like you said you grew up in an abusive home. And I think it's really incredible that you have the level of self-awareness and you've clearly done enough work to understand that it's hard for you to tell when relationships might have red flags. I grew up in a home that was incredibly emotionally volatile and then also emotionally neglectful. There was no equilibrium where I felt like I was seen and safe to express myself fully and I was constantly walking on eggshells with a parent who is explosively reactive and emotional and stuck in his own trauma. And then on the other hand, my other parent who was also completely afraid of having my dad be mad at her. And that came at the expense of protecting her own children from the blowback. And I was basically told just shut up and not make my dad mad. So I could not relate any harder to what you're sharing, Anna. And growing up environments like this can mean that when we find ourselves in secure relationships, like I have with Zaz, it's almost like we don't even know how to handle ourselves. We're so used to chaos and emotional volatility and even sometimes abuse that when we find ourselves in safe, healthy environments, we almost perceive something to be wrong. Like, we need constant excitement, passion, and drama, and it's a real, real head fuck. I said that before, but there's no better way to say it. And so I just want to let you know that I think you did the right thing. I think that you even gave your partner the highest form of love you possibly could while also simultaneously doing that for yourself as well. And I just want to commend you for that decision because it's not easy at all. And the thing is, when we choose to leave these relationships, sometimes these abusive partners will oscillate between being really angry and screaming at you and then also trying out, you know, love bombing tactics where they're like, you know, baby, I'm so sorry. It'll never happen again. You know, that whole cycle. And then you find yourself going back and it does happen again. And I don't want to demonize your partner, right? Because I believe that people that slip into abusive behaviors are also suffering. And I don't believe in demonizing people. I believe everyone is capable of growth and change. But you have to prioritize you always. And if you feel unsafe, you need to remove yourself from that situation. And it sounds like that's exactly what you did. So I'm sending you big virtual big sister hugs and I encourage you to keep at it on your recovery journey and I really think that developing a deeper connection with your intuition, with your gut feeling and doing some work on your values. I've talked about this on previous episodes of the podcast. Really sit down and find out what your personal values are what your needs in a relationship are, write down what makes you feel safe, what makes you feel unsafe, 
and maybe some early red flags. Reflect, what were some of the earliest signs that you saw in this partner that he might be emotionally and verbally abusive, how he may not be in the best emotional place himself, and how can you maybe start seeing those red flags a little bit sooner in your next relationship so that you can consciously move into a relationship and really start picking partners based on shared values and make sure that you listen to that gut instinct moving forward. Our next question is from Lauren. Hi, Molly. It's Lauren from Calgary. Um, I've been one of your listeners for a while now, and I've been diagnosed with or identify as having traits of BPD for about four years now. Um, And I kind of just wanted to reach out because I've gotten myself involved in a situation that requires some really good tools to like maintain emotional composure um, and stability. And I was wondering if you had any tips. Um, I made the mistake (laughs) and got emotionally involved with a coworker. And we never like were officially in a relationship, but we said that we were emotionally exclusive and all that bullshit. And he would be great and he would love bomb me for two weeks and then be distant and pull back. And when he was in that distance and pulled back, he always said that he was too depressed and he was better off alone and no one would love him. And people with BPD were like the most loving people ever. Like if we want to love, holy fuck, we love so hard, right? So it was so hard for me to like stand there like screaming into this void that I would love him. But I finally like broke that off and I realized I'm better without I deserve someone who's sure of me but when we go to work he's just like so happy-go-lucky and puts on this fake face in front of everyone but it's kind of like ostracizing to me at work and I try and do my own thing but like sometimes it gets so emotionally draining and I can feel the switch Molly anything (laughs) any advice would be so great I love you and I appreciate you so much I love and appreciate you too, Lauren. And uh, I stand a fellow smoky voiced queen. I love your gravelly, beautiful voice. It's so, so nice. Okay. So I'm really, really trying. I always try when I give advice to be like as kind as I can on the other person. I try to not just take my listener's side and I try to also be aware that I'm only hearing one side of the story. So, but it's so hard for me not to be like, fuck this guy. (laughs) He sounds so manipulative. And again, but let's appreciate that everyone's going through their own story and trauma. I'm sure if I sat down with this guy and really understood what he went through, what happened to him growing up, that his behavior would make perfect sense for what he'd been through. And I'm sure that he's hurting in his own way, but it's you that's reaching out to me. And I'm just going to give you my advice based upon this. Now, some people are like professional victims and they use it in a way to manipulate people. And here's the thing. I don't think that most of the time people aren't conscious of this. They're not just these evil geniuses trying to achieve their ends. I think that they're just doing it unconsciously. They're replaying out their trauma and patterns that were adaptive in childhood to help them get love, but it is now maladaptive and hurting other people as adults. And I think that's what we're experiencing here with this guy. 
But I just want to start off first before even talking about him and you in particular is just like relationships with coworkers. In general, I don't think it's a good idea at all. And I think that sure, it can happen. I'm sure there's people listening being like, I met my husband at work and now we're happy and we have 25 million kids and a white picket fence. Great, great. I think it can work out. So nothing's black and white. But I think for the most part, especially for those of us who struggle with emotion dysregulation and identify with symptoms of what we call BPD, right? I think it can be a good idea to avoid work relationships. And here's why. Because when you're at work, it's very easy to feel like you are kind of speeding through intimacy and you're with this person every single day. You're sitting next to them all the time. And it can be easy to just kind of like latch on to someone just because you work with them, when if you would have met them out in real life at a park or a bar or a coffee shop, you may not even give them a second glance or even think they were compatible with you. But some of us who struggle with emotion dysregulation, we can feel like we need like a crutch at work. And then we also don't think about the repercussions, right? Because if things don't work out, We don't think that, oh shit, if this doesn't work out, my previously calm work environment is now going to be a hot fucking mess express. So whenever you are entering into an intimate relationship at work, you have to be really, really careful, especially if you love your job. If you really like your job and you want to stay there long-term, I would highly advise against getting romantically involved with anybody you work with because it can turn a really stable, good environment into a toxic one. And I know this firsthand. After my first partner who cheated on me, we were married. He cheated on me three months after our wedding. That's neither here nor there. I became romantically involved with two different people that I worked with, not at the same time. It was one after another. And one of them happened to be my supervisor at the time. And let's just say he was engaged. And I found that out after we started talking. And then of course, I thought that maybe I could win him over. It was not a good, not a good look, not my best moment that crashed and burned. And then I got involved with another guy that I worked with at the same company. And we actually ended up moving in with each other three months after knowing each other. And that was the guy who I ended up getting my head bashed against a wall. (laughs) Fun times, right? And I just forced that intimacy. I spent every single day with them. We went out to lunch together and it was just like playing house. But then it destroyed my job because I'm sure the people at the highest level could see that I was messy as fuck getting involved with people that I worked with and it was disruptive to the work environment. It's just not a good look, right? It's just really, really not a good look. So now let's just move into this particular situation. I think that it sounds like this guy is all over the place, up and down. And the fact that he, you know, was telling you things like he's so depressed, no one loves me, and then putting on a happy face to people at work. 
Whenever you're kind of just seeing different sides to people and splits in their personality, that's usually a good sign that they have a lot of emotional work to do. There's not a lot of self-awareness there, right? And I think you've figured that out. And now you're just dealing with the fallout of this. So sometimes my favorite place to go to just like read a few reflections is Reddit. (laughs) And someone literally made a post in the breakup subreddit that said how to deal with a breakup, the coworker. And someone responded, you need to prioritize your healing first. Do not stay friends. Maybe when you're fully recovered, but at this moment, the emotions are raw and fresh. Go no contact. Don't speak or look at them. Focus on yourself and being professional at work. I'm in your shoes. Trust me. This is the only way out. Because you're unable to distance yourself physically due to work, you need to decide in your heart to distance yourself emotionally. No friendship yet. And I'd also recommend cutting off all contact. Another person says, you go about your job like an adult and professional, then you take your lesson from learning not to shit where you eat, and then you won't have to worry about this ever again. There's nothing to resolve. It's over between you. Time to just move on. Another person gave some pretty good advice. They said, be kind and friendly to them. When you get a chance, say something like, it's too bad things didn't work out between us, but I really want to stay friends and have a good relationship as coworkers. Let's not be awkward or weird around each other and then just act normal. I honestly tend to lean towards the advice of these last two people. You know, don't shit where you eat is a really, really good saying, right? And I don't know my worldwide listeners. I hope you know that we have listeners from back from the borderline in 186 countries now. That's fucking crazy. So there's a saying that's like, don't shit where you eat. And essentially it just means don't cause trouble in a place, group, or situation where you regularly find yourself, right? So just follow that advice. No workplace, romantic relationships if you can. And this other person that said, you know, just have a very mature conversation to say, hey, This didn't work out, but I love my job and I know you love yours. Maybe you guys don't, I don't know, but just say, let's not make this awkward. I still like you as a friend and let's just move on from this. If you are mature and you don't make it awkward, then even if he tries to make it awkward, you're going to look like the mature one. And then just really feel this and let it be a lesson to never let yourself get into a workplace relationship again, especially in a job that you really, really like. So I'd love to hear your reflections and where this has gone and how things have ended up. So feel free to leave me another voicemail and I can play it at the beginning of a future episode so that we can all understand where this saga went. But thank you so much for reaching out, Lauren, and I hope this advice was helpful. All right, our next question is from Marina. Hey, Molly. My name is Marina. I live in Tampa, Florida. Um, I am 25. And holy shit, I just listened to to, uh, your premium episode on uh, Abandoned Holics. And oh my God, you have no idea. I had this whole situation where I was fucking my friend's boyfriend and I couldn't stop and I couldn't figure out why I wanted to do it. And like, it just felt like this drug. It literally felt like doing cocaine. Like the same cravings I'd get were like when I was doing Coke. 
Um, and each time, like, I would feel guiltier and guiltier. The more I'd feel guilty, I just want to text him more and fuck him more. And I've since, like, you know, figured my shit out, found your podcast. And I'm like, you know, I cut that off. And I'm really, you know, doing so much better. And thank you for what you do. Um, but I just couldn't figure out why the fuck that was happening with my mind. But, um, yeah, the shit with the abandoned holic thing. Oh my God. I'm just sitting here in my fucking room, like losing my shit over how accurate this is. So, um, yeah, I just really, (laughs) thank you. Thank you, Molly. Marina, you're so welcome. And thank you for your voicemail. I can't for the life of me remember which premium episode we talked about the abandoned holics concept, but public feed listeners will have not heard about abandoned holics at all. And so I think it's worth just like having a quick chat about that concept because I don't feel like it's spoken about enough. And it happens that a couple of weeks ago we had an episode all about fear of abandonment through the lens of myth and fairy tales. But it's really interesting because I also think many of us who struggle with emotion dysregulation and grew up in abusive or neglectful homes, I think it's very, very common for us to be addicted to drama and really like drawn like moths to a flame to people who are either unavailable in terms of like being married or in another relationship or unavailable emotionally. It's like an addiction to wanting to make people love us. I'm going to read a little bit about what abandoned holic, the concept of an abandoned holic is. I'm reading from just a random website that I found, but abandoned holics attraction is based largely on constantly being triggered that their partner will at some stage now or in the future leave or abandon them the relationship dynamics of abandoned holics frequently flip-flop between the states of abandonment and engulfment testing their partner's boundaries until the relationship eventually erodes or justifiably self-destructs it's the fear that drives us to the uncomfortable edge Suffice it to say, this is not a conscious decision. Abandoned holics are not intently testing their relationship's boundaries. In the run of the day-to-day life, they are inadvertently triggered and simply over-respond to normal relationship stressors. The weight of abandonment sets in and they start testing the boundaries. In many cases, the destruction of the relationship is based on an event or sequence of events whereby there is a consistent or obvious cycle of irrecoverable abandonment incidents. These events may include unrealistic and idealistic expectations of future romance or actual acts of physical abandonment, such as leaving, cheating, intimacy, denial, etc. Specific events would, however, be unique to each relationship and invariably both partners play some or other significant role in the overall process. However, the abandoned holic is the one that continues to feel emotional assaults even after the relationship is over. The flip-flop dynamics of these relationships leave the abandoned holic reeling in a fog of mixed emotional states that can ultimately result in severe stress, obsessive thinking patterns, negative narcissism, and I assume negative narcissism essentially means like hating yourself, the opposite of narcissism, substance addictions, depression, and anxiety, or many similar feelings akin to those conditions. 
abandon holics obsess and yearn for all of the highlights of the relationship but once back in the role revert back into polarized cycles retesting the boundaries of their abandonment fears and subconscious acceptance insecurities reviving all previously damaging events where they felt abandoned and isolated into present day scenarios this is pretty much talking about how we are replaying events from our childhood. I remember my entire childhood, I felt like I was struggling to just feel seen and loved by my parents. I knew they loved me. And I want to reiterate this again. I think this is where a lot of us experience pretty big confusion in adulthood, looking back on our childhood, right? Because for me, I was raised in a middle-class classic home in the Midwest. My parents were both junior high school teachers. So we were by no means wealthy, but I never didn't have a roof over my head. I never had to worry about, you know, the power going off when I was growing up. And I always had knew where my next meal was coming from. I may have had hand-me-down clothes from my cousins sometimes, but like it was a very, very safe childhood where I had all of my immediate needs met. Now, what made it really confusing is that, you know, my parents had their own trauma. My dad really had a traumatic upbringing. And so he had really volatile emotions. And then my mom tiptoed around my dad's emotions and they had a very codependent relationship. And so this was a confusing environment as a child. I never really felt like I was seen or heard emotionally. I felt like I was kind of just there in my home. And I don't have a lot of memories of sitting down and having deep, meaningful conversations with my parents. And I just, not only that, there was a lot of volatile interactions with my parents. And I could go on and on about that all day, but long-term listeners of the podcast will be familiar with that. And I've moved through a lot of that. I've had some really healing conversations with my parents, but nonetheless, emotional abuse and neglect really leave scars on our psyche. And I think the volatile relationship of my parents, volatile and codependent relationship, as well as just kind of how I was treated as a child, I think that was where my addiction to kind of drama and chaos and the normalcy of that continued on into my adult relationships. I'm going to keep reading a little bit from this article about abandonholics because it's really interesting. So the author goes on to say, abandonment fear triggers a panic response or amygdala hijacking. It's also called emotional hijacking. And essentially, this is a beautifully vivid description of a process that actually happens in the brain when faced with imminent danger and the natural trauma responses kick in. So essentially, our brain pumps adrenaline into our bloodstream as a booster to deal with the danger on a physical level. The problem is that this also disables the higher cortex of the brain at the same time, which then in turn prevents us from making calculated and rational decisions. In other words, we are getting completely blinded by our emotions. So something to remember in the heat of an argument as with an abandoned holic who would feel threatened in an argument, could not respond rationally, even if they wanted to. So the fear of abandonment might be loosely classified under CPTSD, which is also called complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Victims of all different types of trauma, PTSD, 
CPTSD, they experience these subconscious flashbacks of fear in the case of abandonment. And this fear is set in rejection, disconnection, or loss. When it comes to abandonment, the important part when we're adults and we're dealing with this dysfunction in our relationship, the one that Marina says she experienced, I love that Marina said just hearing about the the idea of abandon holic kind of like clicked something in her brain. These are really powerful aha moments we can have as adults and realize things that were adaptive when we were kids have become maladaptive and are keeping us stuck as adults. So that's why none of these behaviors are really inherently dysfunctional or disordered. They were actually adaptive. But the thing is, is that things that once served us in the past can come to be things that hold us back in the future. And we have to learn to shed these behaviors when they've served their purpose and protected us as children. So when it comes to the origins of childhood abandonment fears, many of these patterns are present in abandonment and cast back from our very early childhood or previous abandonment traumas, and they have very little to do with our immediate relationship circumstances. Most of these things are learned behaviors from childhood. And you could struggle with abandonment and maybe identify with this abandonholics concept if your parents struggled with abusing substances, if they were workaholics, if they were emotionally disconnected, depressed, or just generally disengaged. These types of parents are most frequently the common denominators of abandonment fears, and these are where the building blocks of abandonment fears are born, and this is how abandonholic adults develop. As children, it's adaptive to seek our parents' attention and approval because this is how we survive. Think about ourselves as little animals, as kids, right? When I got my kitten, she meows, right? Because that's how a kitten gets its mom's attention. As little children, we are wired to want to have our parents' eyes on us. We want to be cute so that they'll want to take care of us. It's all very adaptive. But the problem comes is that even if we do all the right little kid things and we still don't receive that formative validation from our caregivers, this is what leaves us with an inherent sense of self-doubt. And this is when we very understandably begin to question our own self-worth. Emotionally neglected children begin to establish their own means in which to cope with their own emotions in the absence of direction or resolution from their parents. This is where it gets interesting because as a child, if you experienced these types of feelings, if you had parents like the ones I've just described, you had limited physical capabilities. Children are not able to deal with traumatic events in like a fight or flight like adults could do. Kids can't run away. As a child, you are not able to fight. And as a child, your only defense mechanism was to psychologically disconnect from your reality in whatever way you were able to do at the time. And it's in these types of really complicated, emotionally neglectful environments that as children, 
we were forced as an adaptive strategy because we could not fight or flight and we were not receiving the nurturing and caregiving caregiving that was our birthright as children. It's in these environments where we are forced to develop these avoidant and psychological fleeing mechanisms that can be further characterized as dissociative behaviors, right? Because the different um, ways that we deal with trauma as people are fight, flight, or flee, right? And so when we can't physically leave or we are too weak to physically fight the environment, we have to flee in the best way that we can, which is usually in our own minds, shutting down or making ourselves the problem because that's a lot easier for us to cope with than to understand the complex nuances of emotionally unavailable parents. We just don't have that psychological capability as children. And as kids, we enter the world with a clean slate. We don't understand the dangers of our environment about as much as we don't understand our own emotional needs. And as kids, we develop and we learn by copying or imprinting our parents and will naturally develop our emotional responses over and above the fundamental physical nurturing and care we require as infants. The central pillars that kids need to establish an adult life and sense of self that is grounded in confidence, individuality, a strong sense of self-worth, this requires seeing your parents model this type of behavior with each other and others and also offer to you appreciation, empathy, validation, and recognition as an individual. And if you didn't receive that, then it is no surprise why you may have developed these different types of coping mechanisms that lend itself to something like abandonholicism. The parental role is to validate a child's progress into the world up until the point where they're able to manage and regulate their own emotions and make cognitive sense of their life. Now, when we struggle with childhood abandonment, this validation, appreciation, empathy, and recognition doesn't happen, or it happens to such a diminished degree that it impacts our ability to grow into a healthy sense of ourselves. Emotional validation from parents and caregivers and the people that we spend the most time with as kids in these really, really important psychological and developmental points in our lives If we don't have that, then it makes it nearly impossible for us to establish a sound mental picture as an adult. And it's abandoned children who tend to begin to dissociate from situations that they can't cognitively process or where they feel they have feelings that aren't validated or not somehow brought back to a suitably calming resolution. People who were abandoned or emotionally neglected as kids, we don't have the ability to soothe ourselves and that's why it's so important to learn this as an adult and you can learn it but as i've said before in previous episodes it's like trying to learn a new language when you are you know three or four is much easier than learning it when you're 34 for example so what happens when we don't have the ability to self-soothe so 
as children and as adults who still struggle with these things, we escape from the trauma when we're feeling overstimulated or our nervous system is activated in these times with our partners. We will escape from the trauma of trying to understand our emotions and reasons why we're not being validated. And so we escape into our own minds and imaginary worlds. And now with the rise of all of these different misleading content sources and media channels, our internal world is fueled by all of this to an incredibly extreme degree and it can be really damaging for us so as abandoned or emotionally neglected children we begin to adopt a broad range of coping mechanisms to try and obtain that parental attention acceptance and validation and so as adults these same behaviors are what turn into maladaptive attention and validation please that add fuel to these really dramatic toxic complex abandonment and engulfment interactions that play out in our adult intimate relationships abandonment issues like this have been one of the hardest things for me to overcome as an adult and it had to be the main thing i really tackled to be able to have a secure relationship in my marriage now. All right, everyone, that is it for today's free version of the podcast. My premium submarines gain access to full episodes of the podcast. So to unlock the full version of this episode and hear the rest of my explanation of the concept of abandoned holics, you will need to become a premium submarine, which you can do by clicking the link in the episode description. There is a whole another 40 minutes of this episode where I finish my reactions and reflections to the question from Marina. And then the rest of the episode, I take another question from a listener named Eleanor, who is struggling to control herself when she's full of explosive rage and can't seem to stop testing and grilling her partner. So I provide some great reflections in terms of how to manage anger, some affirmations that I've used that help me manage anger, and how we can kind of stop spinning and creating these stories, and how we can also stop becoming the very people that abused and neglected us in the past. So as I mentioned before, I'd love if you would join us in the Premium Submarines. In addition to unlocking this entire episode, you will also have the ability to say that you are supporting this independent podcast. I don't have ads or sponsors on this podcast. It is a listener-supported piece of media, so it would mean a lot to me. In addition to that, you'll also unlock over 110 plus hours of bonus content of back from the borderline and when you sign up if you do that through patreon through the link in the episode description you'll see a pinned post in patreon that will walk you through exactly how to navigate all the bonus content you also will unlock my hero's journey series which is a 21 long episode guided visualization for those who find myth fairy tales and symbolism and the concepts of the collective unconscious jungian psychology depth psychology if you like that kind of stuff you will really really find this series great you can work through it at your own pace 
Premium submarines also receive my monthly sonar system newsletter, which I write a little bit about what I've learned in my recovery in the month. I share resources, YouTube videos, podcast episodes, books, and stuff that's helping me. I do the research so you don't have to. I summarize it all neatly. Recovery, depth psychology, all of this stuff is my passion. So it's my pleasure to share what I've learned with my listeners. Remember, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a therapist. I'm just another person who's trying her best to unlearn the stuff that's keeping me stuck and become the best version of me. So with that, I hope that you will join the premium submarines. But if you're not quite ready for that yet, you can also support the podcast by following the podcast, rating or reviewing it, following me on Instagram at Back From The Borderline, or even sharing this episode with someone you love and care about. That helps too. So thank you for being here with me today. You could have chosen any podcast, any form of media, but instead you chose to be here with me. And that means a lot. So with that, I will leave you. I hope you have an amazing week ahead. I'm giving you a big virtual big sister hug and I'll see you right back here next Tuesday and remember anyone even you can come back from the borderline deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon booklist recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.